<laughs> exactly. I'm the cousin to all these trail families. It's <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, no, we never really, we didn't really have an established group. The closest thing we had to an established group was uh, we formed this really solid group from Pennsylvania through Connecticut, and then it just totally went to shambles. <laughs> it was like we had this group of five. Yeah, we had a group of five, and like with just different things happened for different people, and within about a week and a half, like I was the only one left. It's so it's, yeah, it was so wild. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and you've possibly noticed that the format of this podcast has changed a little bit from its original focus on gear and strategy to more stories and experiences. There will be some gear discussions moving forward. However, stories will definitely take center stage. And today's guest is Sisyphus, known off-trail as Will Peterson. He hiked the AT in 2019 and was supposed to hike the PCT this year, until everything got derailed. Instead, he set his sights on an FKT of the New Hampshire 4,000 footers, also known as the Diretissima. It took two attempts, but on July 29th, he set a new unsupported FKT. In this episode, we talk about his FKT and the different types of FKTs, how his hiking partner leaving trail threw him for a loop on the AT, and why through hiking is whimsical. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Sisyphus. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk to you. I mean, you've done some crazy, crazy ass things here, <laughs> but what comes up, like the first thing that comes into my head is almost like a chicken or the egg question. Mm-hmm. which is, so you did the AT, but you also seem to be a very, very fit individual. <laughs> so, like, was it the AT that sort of started you on this route, or were you there already and the AT became an extension of it? It's an interesting question. I've been, I mean, I've always been active and athletic. I played sports through high school and all that stuff. Um, but I didn't go for... My first big hike, or like, I didn't really hike before my junior year of high school. Um, one of my friends took me on a hike up Mount Washington, and I was just hooked after that. I, um, and it just seemed like a very natural process. Like, I, th- I think that was in 2016, I went for my first hike. 2017, I really started doing a lot of day hikes by myself. And then, you know, the summer of 2018, I already decided that I was going to hike the AT in 2019. But the summer of 2018, I started doing some small backpacking trips. And then 2019, it was just it all it felt like a very natural process. So what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say, at least, is (laughs) that the the emphasis, because then I guess to kind of let the audience know what I'm referring to or what I'm in my head, what I'm referring to is you then went on to do the New Hampshire, right? Yeah, New Hampshire 4,000 footers. 4,000 footers, which was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's obviously like super ultra fit mm. type of thing. 
did you start delving into that as you were doing the AT then? Like yeah. the, the long miles and the extreme elevation gains and losses and that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. Okay. It was on the on the AT, my I I did about two thirds of the AT with a buddy from high school and we um we sort of went out there with the intention of 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 pushing ourselves physically and and all that. Um so we like that as well was sort of a gradual build up. Like we started off on the AT doing like twelve to fifteen mile days and just built it up um very gradually, but by the time I was in by the time I hit New England, so like Connecticut, Massachusetts, I was pretty consistently doing like high twenties, low thirties. And the dire the diartissima or the New Hampshire forty eight just the diartissima is another name for that hike for people who don't know what it is. Um mm-hmm. but it's the jump from low thirties to <laughs> low forties was like, hey, it you know, it'll suck for a few days, but I don't think it's impossible if I as long as I just keep the the miles per hour relatively high and yeah I don't know it was, <laughs> but yeah I've, I've always loved to push myself while I'm hiking I love your understatement there <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I, I I'm I'm conflicted I have to admit you know either you know talking about the AT or, or talking about this uh this thing, this big thing that you did. Oh yeah. With the 4,000 footers. So I guess, because that's more recent, why don't we, why don't we just like dive into that right now? Sure. Um, and kind of get it out of the way and, and all of my questions and, and what the hell were you doing <laughs> of it all? <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, my plans for this year kind of got ruined a little bit like yours did. Um, yeah. I was actually planning on hiking the PCT this year. Um, but that didn't happen. I, it, I also decided that the best option for me was to, to just call it off and do it another year. So I started looking at alternatives, things that I could do locally that I would still want to do. Cause you know, pe- people, once the PCT fell through, people were like, why don't you just do a big chunk of the AT again? And I really didn't feel like any sort of fire to do that. So I just started looking around and I came across, um, I came across the, uh, this like thing that 15 or 20 people have done, which is hike all of the 4,000 footers of New Hampshire in a single hike. And then, you know, I, I, for some reason decided to look at the record and I was like, <laughs> Hey, you know, I feel like I could at least give that a go. What made you think that? I guess what, how were you planning on doing the PCT? Were you planning on doing big miles on the PCT or? Yeah. I mean, so my, I was going to go out there with my brother, but yeah, we were, we both are in college. So we were, we're constrained by the summer. So we, we would have started on our, our start date was the 10th of May and we would have had to finish, uh, by the end of August. So it would have been a fairly quick hike. Okay. Yeah. But you know, I feel like that's a pretty common story now is that everyone's everyone's plans kind of got ruined this year. True, true, true. But you going into this, the hike that you finally did decide to do and then trying to do it in a fastest known, uh, an F- FKT <laughs> is no small thing. I mean, you were you were doing 40 plus miles every day for how many days was it again? 
Six days. For six days. And you had massive elevation gains and losses because you were multiple peak bagging every day. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an insane route. I mean, it was, it's definitely more, it's more miles and more elevation gain than I've ever done. It's like the route is specifically engineered to get as many feet of vert as possible, which is just a joy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting concept because it's also like not a trail. You know, you can go at it any way you want. It doesn't. There's no right or wrong way to do it as long as you hit all the peaks. So that that was another thing. I got to do some research to find the right route and figure out how to how to carry. You know, I on the AT you don't carry more than like your you don't have to carry more than three or four days of food at a time. So carrying six days of food was. Um, an interesting, interesting challenge that I hadn't really had to do before, too. Right. And and having to carry that much food while doing 40 miles, while doing the elevation, while maintain and your weather wasn't great either. And yeah, yeah, that's another I so I went out and did it in early July or I went out and tried to do it in early July and spectacularly failed. I just I got the weather's just so variable in the whites and. I got hit with thunderstorms. You know, there's always a chance of thunderstorms in a six-day period, and you just kind of have to hope you, that you don't get hit. But my first attempt, I did not get so lucky, and I got held up way too much and ended up having to, to call it after three days. Yeah, no, thankfully the second time, the, the weather held out, and it worked out. Or it, I would call it sort of held out. Like, you would, you didn't necessarily get the awful storms, but you you got hit a few times. Yeah, uh, when I say held out, I just mean I didn't get hit with thunder and lightning. Like, that's, (laughs) still got wind, still got rained on, but like, that's it. Like, as long as it's safe to go over the peaks, you just go over them. (laughs) Just keep moving forward. Yeah. But you also, in doing this, and, and directly to relate to what you were just talking about, about having to carry six days worth of food, because you were going for, Okay, so what is their distinction between unsupported versus self-supported records? Sure. Yeah, so there are three categories, self-supported, supported, and unsupported. Uh, self-supported essentially means you can have you can have a crew, you can have like people giving you food, people carrying your gear. Like literally any support is good except for like people can't actually drag you along, like they can't give you physical support. And that is which that's, that's supported. supported. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Self-supported. Self-supported is essentially like the rules of a through hike, if you want to think of it that way. Like you can buy stuff along the way. You can use whatever resources you can find along the way. They just can't be specifically for you. So like you can't have like your family member come give you food. But if you go to a store and buy food, that's fine. Okay. Um, yeah. And then unsupported is you can't take anything from anyone. You know, it was even like some people will say some, <laughs> some people will say that my taking water from the, from the AMC huts is even a little questionable. I just deferred. I didn't know when I finished whether mine should be counted as self-supported or unsupported. And I just left it to, to the people who decide that kind of thing. Have they decided yet? Yeah. They called it unsupported, which I like because it makes it harder to beat, but <laughs> Right. So if, if, if you couldn't, 
or if people were quibbling about you potentially taking water from a, a public area mm-hmm. or public access area, would the expectation have been that you would have had to carry six days worth of water with you from the beginning? No, you can you can just filter from like um like filtering from streams is fine, like natural water sources. It's just a question of like the AMC huts are the AMC huts are a public tap, but it is like a man-made thing. You don't have to filter the water; it's clean. So it's like, is that really unsupported? Basically, what what <laughs> I know, I don't like. I just I don't want to be the person who decides that stuff. I really don't want to get like into the argument. Yeah. But what what the people who decide this stuff told me is that they've just decided that the huts are sort of a uh, a part of um of the White Mountains culture, and so they like if you're just taking water, it's free. They just let it slide. Got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so the final the final number for this. Six day. So what was the final count? The time count? Yeah. It was uh, five days, 13 hours, and five minutes, I believe. And how did you feel the day after that? <laughs> Horrible. It's, it's yeah, definitely your body. My body, like, kept pumping through while I was actually out there doing it. But as soon as I still, like, I could barely walk the next day. It was so bad. <laughs> I've never I've never been that sore before. But but it is similar to through hiking in a way cuz you like I for me like the classic feeling of soreness through hiking is when your feet like balloon up and they feel like for the first few steps every single morning when I was through hiking the AT, my feet felt like they were like balloons that were ready to explode. Yeah. And I got I got that feeling back on this hike. So that was like a little familiarity and yeah, it's so it's so strange how, like, I don't know. I, I honestly, like, never felt that horrible while I was doing it. And once I was done, I think I was totally spent, like, as soon as I was done. Mm-hmm. You you were able to marshal all the forces to get to the finish line. Yeah. Like, crossing that line was like, okay, we're done. We give up. I think so. And I was, you know, I, I pretty much timed it per Like, I was bone dry of food at that point. Yeah, I think I just tapped all my energy reserves completely dry, but I, like, thankfully did it in, like, the perfect time frame. Actually, speaking about your food and circling back to what we were kind of Mm -hmm. talking about before, you changed your food procedure, process, whatever you want to call it, for that versus other hikes or the AT or whatever that you had done before. Yeah. What was that? Sure. And how did you land on that and how did it work for you? Yeah, sure. So, like, when I'm backpacking normally, I just sort of generally have a normal, pretty unhealthy setup. Like, I'd never freeze-dry anything. I just buy nor rice packets and ramen and all that good stuff. But I did want to save want to save weight, and um, I also wasn't sure that I could fit six days of food in my pack. Um, so I, I was talking to some friends. I was talking to some buddies who have done um, Ironmans before. Mm-hmm. And they sort of turned me on to this um, this performance nutrition powder that you can, in theory, just, like, power yourself on forever. Uh, and so I just sort of thought, like, well, if you can do it, like, an Ironman is just as intense, if not more intense. So, like, if if you can power yourself forever on that, like, why not just try and do it for six days? 
So I, I bought like 50,000 calories worth of that stuff. And yeah, that was, pretty <laughs> well, that wasn't it. I, so for, for anyone who doesn't know, my, my food on this trip was essentially 80% this nutrition powder that I mixed into my water. And the other 20% was like power bars, um, cliff bars and nature valley and stuff like that. But yeah, it was really interesting because I've never, it's such a strange feeling for days on end to like not eat very much and never get hungry because the, I don't know, that stuff really works. I'm a believer. I didn't, <laughs> I was kind of worried about how it would work, but it's so strange. Yeah, it it is an odd feeling of not being hungry, but feeling like you should be hungry. Yeah, you you've done Ironmans before, correct? Yeah. Have you have experience with this kind of like nutrition? Yeah, totally. I cannot like in an Ironman type of half Ironman or Ironman type of scenario, I can't eat solid food. Mm-hmm. So I live on in my case, I didn't use the same powder that you did. I used sustained energy from hammer, but yep. it's exactly the same thing. It's fats and carbs and proteins in a powder in water and off you go. God, it's so strange, <laughs> but, but it really works. It really gets you there. <laughs> yeah. Would you integrate that into your next through hike at all? I don't think so. It's expensive. I think the six days of that powder at like six days of that powder at about 5,000 calories of that stuff a day cost me like a little bit over $200. So that's relatively expensive, I think. And I just think I would want to chew stuff. <laughs> like, by the, by the end of this little hike, I really wanted to chew something. <laughs> and the bars weren't doing it for you? No, I mean, the bars would satiate me for, like, a few minutes. And then it was, like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your kingdom for solid food. Yeah. <laughs> so... How much did you beat the previous FKT for unsupported? For unsupported. Uh, so the guy who held the record before me was, uh, was named Bill Tid. He's a really, really great athlete. And he, he did it more hardcore than I did. Like he didn't, he didn't drop his pack on any out and backs. He never went into a building the entire time that he was out there. He's, he's, he went really hardcore with it. So. Like, I kind of feel bad putting our, us in the same, like, you know, comparing the two time-wise, because his was just, like, so much more stringent than mine was. But technically, we're both unsupported, and my time was, I think, about 17 hours quicker, somewhere in that neighborhood. About, but, the, about the amount of time of an Ironman. Yeah. <laughs> or of the, the allowed time for an Ironman. <laughs> Do you have aspirations to do more of these type of things now i think so yeah because i'm not sure at least for the next few years i'm not sure that i'm gonna have time to to do a big through hike i don't think i'm gonna have a chance to do the pct for a while here so i you know i have to keep myself occupied doing something i feel like these these things are sort of a cool way to to keep you know getting on trails and doing doing things that i like you know, there, there are FKTs you can go after that are just like a couple days or three or four days. And it's not like a huge time commitment, but you can still dedicate yourself to it and 
really like get into it. So yeah, I, I have a, I have a few plans. My buddy and I, so one of my friends that I was talking about that has done an Ironman, I guess I haven't really announced this anywhere, but, um, he and I next summer are planning on trying to go after the supported record for the hundred mile wilderness in Maine. So that's sort of the big plan for next summer. I've never, I've never gone more than 45 miles in a day and, yeah, it's going to be an interesting, interesting run. <laughs> what is the time that you'd have to beat for that? It's right around 30 hours. <laughs> so, it's, <laughs> so it's like, I think it's like 18 and a half minute miles or something like that, but it's 18 and a half minute miles for a hundred miles straight through like yeah. the most remote part of Maine. So <laughs> okay. It'll be so, interesting. So we should stand by. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it won't happen. And we're not going after it until probably early July, but right. yeah, a lot of training to do. It's, it's funny. Like, I feel like where you say you don't have a lot of ability or probably won't have the ability to get away for extended periods of time for the next few years. It's sort of like you're, you're taking potentially the amount of time that you would have for a through hike and you're front loading it on this hike into something that you can do while also going to school and, and whatever and, yeah. and the training, because there's obviously no way you can get out there and do that without a hell of a lot of training. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause like a through, I mean, a training for something like an Ironman or, or a, a century or something like that, it's just as much work as doing a through hike, but it's like, you can't just the, the practicality of a through hike is that you can't really be in society while you're doing it. You know, yeah. and you can, you can, it's a lot of work, but you can still work around real life, I guess, if you want to call it that. Well, you know, training for a, a big event, like a, like an Ironman or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So how, I almost have two questions here, but. Sure. I'm looking at, I'm looking at, I, so I took a sheet of notes on you, for you. <laughs> and the, the thing that just keeps like blaring like this big red sign is your trail name, Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. Which just begs the question, what the heck rock are you pushing up that hill? <laughs> like, how did you get I this name? Know, what man. did you do? It's it's not actually a really exciting story. It's just that um my uh my buddy and I when we were hiking the AT, I hadn't gotten a trail name in for for a while. Um but people that we were hiking with I guess my my sort of strength while hiking, I'm not particularly a fast hiker, especially on like flats and downhills, but I can just keep my pace constant pretty much while I'm going uphill. Um okay. and so yeah, people um people we hiked with would make comments about that cuz I would just sort of run away from people on uphills, but other than that I wasn't very fast. And then uh my buddy just um made a comment one day about how I was going up a hill like Sisyphus. And it, we just kind of decided that that was a good name. I like it. I'm not, you know, I don't have some grand story. I'm not really pushing a rock up a hill. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a cool name. I like it. It is very cool. It is very cool. And it, like I said, when I saw it, I just had to know, like, what what the origins of it were. Mm-hmm. How, how far into the trail was that? Probably, I think... Somewhere around the Smokies. Okay. Which is probably like maybe 200 miles in. So a little ways in. 
Yeah, not too far. I didn't get to, you know, Maine or anything without a trail name. <laughs> that would have been sad. <laughs> I'm assuming that there were other trail names that were thrown at you, but you dodged them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were. Can you share what some of those were? Sure. So uh, my the first one was that the guy I was hiking with from back home, he's um, he's this very big 6'4 athlete. And so (laughs) there was one person who tried to call me big man because just like compared to him, I am not bad. (laughs) It was like a little irony thing. I didn't like that very much. Oh, gosh, I feel like there was another, but I don't. Maybe I didn't even let that one stick long enough to stay in my mind. But big, like, I actually, I, I went along with Big Man for a few days, I think, and then I was, I just was not feeling it at all. So I, I let it go. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. I just don't want my trail name tied to someone else, you know? Like, if I go on another hike, not with him, then Big Man makes no sense. <laughs> right. And it, and it's hard to explain it when you're traveling with somebody else who, yeah. 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 (laughs) Enough said. (laughs) What got you onto the AT in the, in the beginning? Uh, so like, as I said, like late, sort of late in high school, I got into hiking and I was super hooked on like the Northeast hiking. Then I went to college and I was, you know, in college, I go to college in Boston and I got really like, sort of homesick for the woods my freshman year of college. So I was just looking at a bunch of ways to, uh, to like get outside and all that. I don't know. (laughs) I truly don't know how that like translated into hike the whole Appalachian trail, but it was also something like, you know, you grew up in Maine, you hear about the AT, you like, you know, you grow up when, when you go on like hikes as a little kid, you, you see through hikers and you hear about through hikers but it's this very ethereal thing, at least it was for me. Yeah, I don't know. At some point, freshman year, I just decided my school has a very um, sort of lax scheduling. It's very it's very fluid with your schedule as far as your academic plan. So, so I knew I could fit something like that in if I want to do it. So I just started reaching out to a bunch of buddies and asking, hey, you know, I don't really want to do this by myself. Would anyone... Does anyone want to go hike the Appalachian Trail? And one of them, his name's Shane. Uh, Shane got back to me. and was like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so that was, that was kind of it. I don't really know how I decided on the AT, but it, uh, it just sort of came about. Did you have any expectations for it when you started it? Definitely. Definitely. Every single part of the AT, I feel like, is so pigeonholed as to like what you're going to experience in this part. And every single expectation, I think, fell a little bit short of, like, what what it was, like, built up to be. So, like, the bad parts were way better than most people made them out to be. And, like, I mean, perhaps it's just because I'm from the Northeast and I've done a lot of hiking in the, in the whites. Like, I've seen a lot of great views, but, like, this... Don't take this wrong, anyone from the Smokies. The Smokies are awesome, but the Smokies were built up to me to be, like, this just life-changing thing, and I didn't feel it. The Smokies are great mountains, but I didn't feel it. But it's like that with every single, like, section. Like, people talk about the Virginia Blues, and I absolutely love Virginia. 
like people talk about how bad Pennsylvania is and it's like, yeah, it is bad, but it's not like, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world or anything like that. But yeah, no, I had lots of expectations for the AT, but I tried, I tried as best as I could to not let those expectations sort of seep in. I really wanted to just like accept the trail for what it was and not what people had told me it was. And that's hard to do since it's such a popular trail and people talk about it so much, but yeah. it's a, yeah, it's a really special trail. <laughs> so what did it, once you let it seep in, what did it become for you? It became, hmm, I think it depends on the section. It depended on the day. It's, it's a very mental experience. Like after the first three weeks were really tough on me physically um, mostly just because I had the wrong footwear set up. But after that, it, it's just, it's a very meditative experience. And, and there were a couple phases of it, I think, cause for the longest time up until Connecticut, Shane and I hiked together. And so we started off the trail with this very, um, set mindset of, you know, we're hiking this thing together, but statistically the odds are that we're not going to finish this thing together. So, we very much were starting it with the assumption that, you know, we're, we're doing, we're, we're hiking this together, but we're, we're out here for ourselves, kind of, if that makes sense. Not, like, not in a selfish way, but like, in, in a sort of realistic kind of way that we were, we want our own experience with this sort of thing. But somewhere along the line between Georgia and Connecticut, for, at least for me, it really turned into like our hike. Like, I, I grew really close with him, and then, um, he ended up breaking his foot, or he got a stress fracture, uh, in his foot in Connecticut had to get off trail and you know, then I had to rethink the whole thing cause it, it had become our hike and I just like didn't want to hike after he got off trail. So uh, yeah, no, that was a little rough section of trail, like Connecticut, Massachusetts and Vermont. I was just hating it the whole time. How long was that period of time? It was pretty quick. That was when I was hitting my biggest smiles. So I, and I made some weird arbitrary deadline to meet my parents in Hanover, New Hampshire, which is like right at the beginning of New Hampshire. So I, I think the whole like Connecticut, Massachusetts, Vermont section was like a couple weeks. But yeah, it was just not a, not a great time mentally. But once I hit New Hampshire, I was sort of in terrain that I'd already hiked and I was able to sort of process it and re uh reimagine what the hike was about and like you know i think there was a specific <laughs> there was a night where i i was you know literally talking to myself and i was like all right you can either be miserable for the last 450 miles of the trail or you can get over it and you know take this great experience for what it is so it um yeah made in new hampshire i i was able to have a great time again and yeah, I think, honestly, I think the trail sort of morphs while you're on it. There's no, like, I mean, maybe for some people there is, but for me, there was no, my AT hike was this to me. It was like, Virginia was this to me, or like, this section of Virginia was this to me, this section of Pennsylvania was this to me. It's just, it's an amalgam of experience. I mean, it's for, you know, we were out there for, or I was out there for four months. It was like, a lot happens in four months. Yeah. Did it help in terms of like turning the corner for you? Did it help, even though it was kind of arbitrary, the meeting up with your parents? Absolutely. Sort of was like yeah. the, the turning a corner and going in a new direction kind of a thing. Yeah, because 
it was also very sudden. Like his his foot had been hurting progressively more and more. Um, but then he he's also a really tough guy, and he he was I think hiding it a little bit. <laughs> but there just got there there came a day where he just really couldn't walk on it anymore, and then gave his parents a call. They came down and got him, and then you know that was it. And I was I was on my own for the rest of the trip. So I think it was really good to say that again. Had you guys talked about the possibility, like as his foot was hurting more and more, had you guys talked about the possibility of him not finishing? So we did his, his foot actually started hurting back in like late Pennsylvania. Um, but, and we, and we, he toughed it out for a little while. Then we got off trail in New York, got him an x-ray and the, <laughs> the people who gave him the x-ray were like, yeah, you're fine. So, <laughs> So we just kept going, and that's sort of, like, early on, we, we mentioned it a little bit of, like, you know, what we might have to do if he had to, we never talked about if he had to, like, get off trail for good, but we talked about if he had to slow down, what we'd do, but, yeah, no, we never really talked about, like, after New York, we thought he was fine and that it was just some sort of tendon issue or or. I don't know, but <laughs> we kind of ignored it after that until it was, you know, until literally the day he got off trail. But I think meeting up with my parents did really help me get back in like the, in the headspace, just like seeing people that I knew and knowing that, you know, we live near the AT in Maine. So I would have all the support that I needed from basically then to, to the end. And like, I live in Maine, but the the White Mountains are my home for sure, hiking-wise, and I just, like, I was looking forward to the White so much on the AT, and once I finally got there, I was pretty happy to be there. It felt like coming home. For sure. It definitely did. What was, the, like, that first day on trail like for you? Was it just any other hiking trip, or did it feel like it was different, like it was more momentous? Uh, the AT or the Diartisma? The AT. The AT. Uh, no, definitely. I mean, I'd never gone on a. I'd only been on two or three backpacking trips, and none that were more than a week. So, it was it was a big thing for me for sure, and I don't think I've ever been that far away from my family before. But yeah, <laughs> it was a very strange day. It was a very strange day. Awesome. Um, I don't know. It just, it, it felt kind of surreal because you, you do all this, like we figured, or we decided rather that we were going to do this hike back in, I think, November of 2017. So we planned for almost a year and a half and you just build up all of these conceptions about what the trail is going to be like and what this experience is going to be like over a year and a half of planning. And then on day one, it's just like, I mean, it, it is amazing, but it's absolutely nothing like you think it is, because it's just like, the whole AT is just, you're walking, and that's, like, that's it. You can see about <laughs> 50 feet in front of you, and you can see about 50 feet behind you, and that's, you know, that's the whole thing. <laughs> Not that it's, it's still amazing, but it, it was a really, it was a really interesting day. I got blisters, again, I was wearing the wrong shoes at the beginning, so I got blisters immediately, and it was, yeah, it was tough for the first couple hundred miles but what were you wearing what did you move to or what did you change to so i wore darn tough socks with these like i think they're called wigwam sock liners and then uh 
Merrill, like not waterproof Merrill hiking shoes. And I just have really fat feet. They were too narrow and they were also too small. So like I was getting blisters literally on every spot on my foot. (laughs) Ow. Yeah. I, I think there was, there was a time where I had nine blisters on my feet at once. So it was just not a good time. But then in Franklin, I switched over to um, Ultra Olympuses. Mm-hmm. And and then in Damascus, I ended up picking up these a different sock liner, these the like Injinji toe sock liners that I wore under my darn tufts. And like that's the setup I've worn since then. I've never had foot problems since then. Like I didn't get a single blister on the Diartissima, which is so like it's, it's kind of surreal considering. Yeah how much you were doing, how el- much elevation you were doing, the weather, the rain, the wet feet, the all of Yeah. That. And it's such a strange... I, footwear to me is, like, maybe the most personal piece of backpacking equipment because, like, I modeled my footwear, like, what I went out on the trail. Do you know Darwin on the trail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I modeled my footwear that I was going on the AT with exactly what he wore on his AT through hike, and it worked great for him, and it's good gear, but it just mm-hmm. didn't work for me. <laughs> You know, so you know, yeah, footwear. I feel like footwear is sort of a thing that you have to mess around with until you find what works for you, and then you just gotta stick with it. Yeah, no, it is. It's very personal. I mean, and everybody's feet are so different. You know, mm-hmm. even even if somebody says, "Okay, I have high arches," my high arches are different than your high arches, which means that the shoes aren't gonna fit exactly the same way. And yeah, it's shoes. <laughs> I, I was joking uh back when i was still gonna be on the trail this summer when i was trying to find shoes and i was like i'm like the princess in the pea like every <laughs> little thing about these shoes either you know bothers me or it's okay mm-hmm. but there was no oh i think it'll be fine <laughs> 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 for no sure hey, fine that's definitely like if you can figure it out prior to getting out there that's much, much more, uh, that's much better. <laughs> more better? More better. I take it you didn't do much hiking in that setup before you got out there. No, I mean, I did, yeah, nothing more than day hikes. <laughs> also not a great idea, but yeah, it was foolish. I didn't, I didn't expect how much my feet would swell up. Like prior to going on the AT, I was a size 10 and a half and I just fit into 11 and a half while I was on the AT. So like it, it was a big difference. How long did it take for your feet to swell? Like, was it within the first two weeks or when I'd say by the end of week one, my feet were balloons. Yeah. (laughs) You're one of those people that needs to stop every once in a while and elevate. (laughs) Oh yeah. Every single night, every single night I'd put my feet up for at least 20 minutes. So, did you guys hook up with any sort of family around you or was it literally just the two of you sort of moving in and out of bubbles and families and things like that? Yeah, that was exactly how it was. We like we had we had these like mini trail families or bubbles that we'd be in for maybe two or three hundred miles at a time. And then we jump ahead and move to the next bubble. And I kind of like that because we we got to meet so many people like I can sort there are all these like different trail families that I'm like. I mean, there was a give and take because I'm not like really close with any of them, but You're I like the cousin. Exactly, I'm the cousin to all of these trail families. It's <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, no, we never really we didn't really have an established group. 
the closest thing we had to an established group was uh, we formed this really solid group from Pennsylvania through Connecticut, and then it just totally went to shambles. <laughs> it was like we had this group of of five. Yeah, we had a group of five, and like with um, just different things happened for different people, and within about a week and a half, like I was the only one left. It's so yeah, it was so wild. But one of them ended up getting back on trail. Yeah, but it was a uh, it was an interesting time. I think that was another part of like the the rough sort of transition for me was that it wasn't just Shane. It was like everyone I knew was just gone. <laughs> it was really weird. It went nuclear. Yeah. Did you hook up with any other families or any other hiking partners? after he left or did you pretty much go solo and just again, move in and out of groups? Yeah, I pretty much went solo going in and out of groups from the, for the rest of it. And I didn't mind that either. It was, it was kind of fun to, I guess I had a lot of fun with Shane on the trail, but I think, I think he would, uh, he would say this as well. It's tough. Like some days someone's body just feels a little bit better and someone's body feels a little bit worse. And our thing was always like, the night before we would set how many miles we were going to do the next day. And that was it. We were doing it. If one of us was getting tired, they would suck it up. And <laughs> that was, that was just it. So like, it was nice to be able to just say, you know, I'm tired. I think I'm just going to stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a nap. <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite other than your shoes? Mm. What was your favorite piece of gear out there? <sighs> it's a good one. Um, you know, I think, I think the, uh, the butt pad is a really underrated piece of gear. <laughs> it's very multi-purpose. Actually, no, just kidding. I think, uh, I think the, uh, the homemade koozie that I made for my, uh, for my mug was definitely my favorite piece of gear. It's like so simple, but it saves so much fuel it keeps your food hot and it weighs nothing. I think that was definitely my favorite piece of gear. I take it you had a stove out there? Yeah. Yeah, I had just like one of those little MSR pocket rockets. So when but, you say it saves so much fuel, what what do you mean by that? So like if you're cooking like a Nor packet or something, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you just make a koozie for the little for your cup and then you boil the water in the cup. And as soon as the water starts boiling, you just shut the shut the stove off, put the cup in the koozie, and then pour the rice into the cup, and then like put tin foil on the top, so it's you basically got like a mini oven, and it it cooks it, and so you don't have to like run the stove the whole time while the while the rice is cooking. Ah, uh, okay. So what did you make your koozie out of? It's like um, again, this is another Darwin on the trail thing. This is not my idea, but it's. Um, it's like the the windshield heat reflectors for cars. Oh, you I know get, what you're talking about. Yeah, you can get one of them at like Walmart, and you just like cut it and duct tape it in around your cup, and yeah, it's very simple, but it's it's a great piece of gear. Now, was it one of those ones that? Because obviously, a lot of them have like pictures and things like that on them, but there are ones that are like silver. Or, or that kind of stuff that have a reflective... Oh, do you have it around you? Yeah, yeah, hold on. Give me one sec. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's like this little thing right here. Okay, so it's like... It's basically... It looks like the silver... 
silver one, it's almost like an insulation type of thing yeah. that you've taped into a form that, that fits your cup. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever try doing anything? Did you cook in anything other than your cup? Did you try any sort of uh, like freezer bags or anything like that? I tried cooking in, um, like I carried out of the same material of this, I carried a, um, I carried a, a cook pouch that like you can pour the water into like the nor packets and then just put the whole packet into this cook pouch made out of that same like insulating material. I just, I didn't like it as much. It didn't cook quite as well, I don't think. So I ended up ditching it by like North Carolina, but yeah, no, after that, I pretty much stayed with just cooking it in the cup. Nice. So what was the first piece of gear that you got rid of that you were like, oh, this was so stupid. This was a mistake. <laughs> this is not supposed to be here. I need to I need to send it home or leave mm-hmm. it. I think, thankfully, I had my gear fairly dialed in because um, I'd watched a lot of YouTube videos. But Thank God for YouTube. Thank God for YouTube. But I, uh, I think my shoes were the first thing that I got rid of. I got rid of my shoes in Franklin, North Carolina, which is about a hundred miles into the trail. I got rid of, I got rid of that cook pouch. I don't remember getting rid of a whole lot of other gear. Yeah, it was, it was fairly dialed in. Yeah. Oh, if I can plug one other piece of gear, Luco yeah. tape. Luco tape is the best. <laughs> I love Luca tape. Was that because of your blisters? Yep. Like literally, and I've never gotten. Yeah. Anytime I get a hot spot or anything, just slap some Luco tape on that. <laughs> anytime I can spread the word of Luco tape, I will do that. It's sort of like uh, Luco saved your life today. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Not sponsored by Luco tape. Just love the product. I know. I, I hear basically people talking about three types of tape. Luco tape, duct tape, and mm-hmm. tenacious tape. Yep. Yeah, I've never I've never used tenacious tape for anything, so I can't speak to it, but duct tape's good until it gets wet. Luco tape sticks. <laughs> so how does that did you have duct tape with you on the AT? I did for a while. Yeah, I just had it, like, wrapped around my pole like a lot of people do. Um, but I think I eventually used it up for something. I Like, yeah, early on, Shane broke his pole, one of his trekking poles, and so he had to, like, essentially create, like, a little... Every day I had to wrap a little duct tape around it and, like, jam it in so so the pole wouldn't, like, fall apart. So we used up all our duct tape, and then we just, like, never picked up more duct tape. <laughs> but never really needed it, I guess, but... The Luca was there to save you. That's right. Yeah, I mean Luca is good for skin. It's not. It's not great for repairing gear. <laughs> did how did your gear hold up overall? Great. Uh, for the most part, good. I think the only the only big piece of gear I had to replace on the trail was um, my sleeping pad. So I went out there with a Thermarest Neo Air Uberlight. And those things, those things are super light, but they're also made of butterfly wings. <laughs> yeah, but it lasted me a long time. Like I did not treat it particularly nicely, and it st- it lasted me until Vermont before it popped, or it didn't pop. It started leaking out the valve, 
but you know, luckily I was meeting up with my parents in Hanover in three or four days. So I just sucked it up for a few days and then got a new one. And then I carry a Hyperlight Mountain Gear um, Windrider for my backpack. That thing is bulletproof. But the the aluminum, like one of the frame part of it has like a removable frame and one of those like metal bars broke in New Hampshire, but they just sent me a new one and I replaced it. So like a new a new metal stay because you can just take them out and put them in. But yeah, other than that, my gear held up pretty darn well. I don't think I really had to replace anything. I think my poles were pretty pretty done so by the time I got done, but they lasted me the whole trail. Were you basically going to go out with that same kit to the PCT? Pretty much. I so I I picked up a trekking pole tent. I used the Big Agnes Fly Creek on the AT. Mostly be well, mostly because I had barely ever been backpacking. I didn't really know what I was doing. But also because trekking pole tents can be tough on the East Coast with the condensation. So I picked up a trekking pole tent um, for the PCT. Other than that, it was pretty much the exact same setup. Yeah. What was your What was your base weight? Do you know? On the AT, I I picked up and dropped off some things like while while going on the AT and I think it I think my base weight actually ended up being a little bit heavier because like once once Shane got off the trail I uh, I picked up a bigger knife I picked up uh my <laughs> my parents made me pick up an emergency beacon and then I also I replaced my sleeping pad with a sleeping pad that was heavier but at the beginning it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 and a half pounds yeah so not like you know, the ultralighters would scoff at me, but <laughs> uh, I was pretty happy with it for like a first, like first through hike. Yeah. Now, why did you get a bigger knife? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, you totally don't need it. Just like the knife I had was like, the knife I had was barely big enough to like open a, open a, packet of ramen and so it was like for for hitchhiking and stuff i just like to have something where i could like if i had to defend myself i could or i it was like just a little bit less secure of a feeling without this like six four college athlete around all the time you know <laughs> how was hitchhiking for you guys i i would assume that even though he would provide a, a level of safety it might have mm. made things more challenging on a hitchhiking front it was actually really interesting. Like as I got, as we got farther up the coast, it got harder. And I don't know if that, like maybe the Southern hospitality thing is just a real thing, but our first maybe four or five hitchhikes, we got the first car. It was very strange, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't feel like we had a particularly difficult time hitchhiking. Honestly, I feel like, like being in a group together, we kind of looked like we were at least sociable, you know. When I was by myself, I just kind of looked like this wild hooligan. <laughs> but also, I think I only had to hitchhike once after he got off trail. So once, not a yeah, it's not a big sample size. Cause like, um, oh sorry, twice. Yeah, I had to I had to hitchhike into Bennington, Vermont. Cause I went from yeah. I went from 
he got off trail in Kent, Connecticut, and then I went from Kent to uh, Great Barrington, Mass. But that town's close enough that I just walked most of the way, and then I think some like some hostel picked me up. I hitchhiked into Bennington, Vermont, and then I hitchhiked. Oh no, no, I'm also a liar. I I'm a liar. I hitchhiked. In, <laughs> sorry, I hitchhiked into Rutland too. So three times I hitchhiked into Rutland, Bennington, and then uh, Lincoln, New Hampshire. It was like once I once I was into like far into New Hampshire and then into Southern Maine. I my my family was around, so I didn't really have to hitchhike because you know, in Southern Maine they were around, and then when you get to Northern Maine, there are like hostels. Like once you get to Monson you can just have one of the hostel shuttles come get you. Right. It's the shuttle service will help you out there. Yeah, for sure. But I would say it was definitely harder for me after he got off trail to, to get um, hitchhikes, which was the opposite of what I thought would happen. Yeah. But I guess I could see it. I mean, at that point you're well into it and Mm -hmm. beer's probably a little scraggy. Oh yeah. I can send you a photo later. I can send you a photo later, but I had multiple people tell me that I looked like Charles Manson at the end of, uh, at the end of the AT, which is not a great look to get hitchhikes. True. Uh, yeah. I, I feel for anybody who, uh, took a look at you and went, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know if I want to roll the dice. <laughs> what, I mean, other than when Shane left and I guess your blisters potentially, what was the most challenging, hardest, worst, you know, whatever variation of that day or, or moment on the trail. Uh, it was easily um, the day I went into Bennington, Vermont. So that day, it had poured rain the day before, so I was I was wet. And it was also like you're getting I was getting higher into New England, and so I was getting some of those like sneaky cold days. And I did not have any water. I didn't have any warm layers besides like my puffy, which you can't wear in in rain. So I, I I got down to the road to go into Bennington, and I I took so long for someone to 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 pull over and uh, and bring me into town, and then did my you know did my thing in town, and then it was absolutely pouring rain by the time I needed to go back out to trail, and so you know I was standing out in the middle of Bennington trying to get a hitchhike, and that that took about an hour of just standing in the pouring rain. So I was, you know, I was cold at that point, cold and wet. And then, you know, I was going northbound. I hustled up to whatever shelter is, is just north of Bennington up this really steep, muddy climb. I was just having a miserable time of it. It was windy. I was cold. It was the first, like I almost never get cold while I'm hiking. Cause my, my body just like heats me up sufficiently, but like I was cold and I got, I got into this shelter and it was just jam packed. <laughs> I, I was like, I was a little bit like, maybe a little bit aggressive. I was just not about to go <laughs> set up my tent. So I was like, hey, you know, can I just like set up my sleeping pad like horizontally on the edge of the shelter? And thankfully they were cool about it. They let me do it. They could see that I was like, I actually met one of them again in New Hampshire. And he was like, oh, yeah. You were that miserable guy in the Vermont shelter. <laughs> yep. That's me. But that, yeah, that was a tough day. I was, I don't think I ate anything that night. I just went to bed and yeah, that was a, uh, that was definitely my worst day on trail. I think getting through that or going through that, 
what did you take away from that experience or, or have you taken anything away from that experience? Yeah. I mean, almost immediately the next day I processed it as, you know, if I can, if I can do that, then I can do anything on this trail. Cause I mean, really when I started the trail and like throughout the trail, my mentality was outside of like serious illness or serious injury. There's no way I'm getting off this trail. And so like, that was probably the most mentally challenging day as far as just trying to trying to like keep in my mind that it was all for a bigger goal and that you know all the all the the sufferfest is temporary and all that stuff but yeah no i think i think the hardest times on the trail are some of the most like molding because they show you that if you're willing to suck up the hard stuff then you can do anything and and it makes the good parts way better. Were you called on later on in the trail at all to remember that day night in in Vermont? Actually not. <laughs> that was sort of when stuff started smoothing out for me. I had <laughs> like it was so strange when I, you know, I was so worried about especially in the alpine zones in New Hampshire, like there are some spots where you just can't keep hiking if it's if the weather's really bad, but Throughout New Hampshire, I just had like seven days of crystal clear weather, which is almost unheard of. And then, and then it thunderstormed for a couple of days right when I got to Maine. So I just got off trail and went to my house. Um, and then once those got done, I went back on trail and didn't get any like super severe weather for basically the rest of the trip. So, <laughs> but I definitely had to, it definitely helped me for the diartissima because there was a, there were, there were several times on the diatessima where I like questioned if I was physically capable of of doing what I was setting out to do, like like I specifically remember on day two, I I felt like I was pushing myself really hard and I was about halfway through the day and only had hit like maybe like sixteen miles and it was in a on a forty plus mile day and I just like. I was like, man, I can't be slowing down already. This isn't great, but, but again, if you can, if you can suck up the bad stuff and just keep pushing, you can, you can do any part of it. Was that day a lesson, a lesson more for you of physical or mental stamina? Or I think it's, I think it's all mental okay. or mostly meant i mean <laughs> obviously it's physical but you know i mean there's a physical to it but everybody always says that your mind can get you further than your body for sure for sure yeah i think that's definitely the case if you i don't know if i think if you believe you can if i didn't think that i could that i could do 45 miles in a day then i wouldn't be able to but I think you're I think you're way better off to be in moderately decent shape and with 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 a great mental attitude than in really great shape with a with an attitude of doubting yourself cuz like as soon as you start doubting yourself you're done. Yeah. And I think in Mike Tyson's immortal words, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. <laughs> Absolutely. It's what you do after you get hit in the face. Exactly. It that <laughs> that's when it truly tells like can you you know when your plan goes to shit 
when mm-hmm. you have to make other choices, can you do that? Or do you get stuck in the loop of this is the way it was supposed to be? This is how I envisioned it. This is what we were supposed to do, so forth and so on. Absolutely. And I think that's like with these big these big physical endeavors, like a through hike or an Ironman or a big or the diatessima or what have you, it's it's nothing is ever going to go as planned with something that ridiculous. You know, it's like something is going to go wrong and you have to be able to adapt. And I think that's like a, a good life lesson because because these things really are like a microcosm of life, I think. Like you can take the lessons away and, and learn from it. It's like not everything's going to go the way you plan. And if you're if you're rigid, you're going to fall apart and you're not going to set out what you set out. You're not going to do what you set out to do. But if you're willing to if you're willing to adapt and to change and to to roll with the punches, then I mean, maybe you'll still fail, but maybe you won't, you know, right. You have a better chance mm-hmm. of, of success if you're able to to roll with it. If you're able to th- to think quickly as as uh, events change, yeah. What was the day that you were out there on the AT that was the most? I guess the word I'm going to use is ridiculous, but it's it's one of those ones where you're. It's almost like like the image in my head is one of those ones where you're standing there in the middle of whatever, and you're like, really, really, <laughs> you had to go there. Hmm. Interesting. There's some, there's some strange, there were some strange ones early on, especially when we were learning, learning the trail and learning the culture and all this stuff. So there was a, there was a day where we had a, a sketchy bear encounter and a sketchy human encounter in the same day. And that, that was, that was an interesting time. So like early in the morning, the bear encounter, we, and it was, it was really early on. I want to say it was in the first week and a half or so. We, um, we, we were getting up and going in the morning. We were a few miles into the day and then we hear the sound off to our left and we see this little cub climbing a tree. Uh, and then we hear a really big noise directly off to our right and there's a mama bear just standing there. So we're like literally standing directly between them. It was, <laughs> it was not a great scenario, but. Like thankfully, no. thankfully the mama bear decided maybe that two was too many and and ran off. But yeah, that was so that was horrifying. That was also our first bear encounter, and you know everything you read is like don't get between mama bear and her cubs. <laughs> it's like well, <laughs> yeah, good don't thing make we mama bear angry. Yeah. So then later in the day, we we came down to this road, and I want to preface this with this. This guy was probably a great guy. He was just acting really sketchy. So if you're listening out there, whoever this was, don't be mad at me. But this this guy came out of his his RV, came over to us, and like first asked us if we want to go into his RV and like drink his homemade coffee with him. So we we politely declined that. But he was a little bit pushy, and then also like followed it up with, do you want to go into the woods with me over there and eat these edible plants that I found? And that's when, yeah, that's when we promptly left. <laughs> but that, that was one of those days where we were like, what, you know, what did we just sign up for? Like, is this what the AT is like? But again, most people are, most people are great. That guy was probably great. It's just like, do, do I really want to go off into the woods and eat this man's edible plants? I don't think so. <laughs> 
seem like a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. You, you, in relation to the AT, and I, unfortunately my notebook doesn't say it specifically, but you sure. use the word whimsy. <laughs> Why did you use the word whimsy? Um, I mean, part of it is that I just like the word. <laughs> very good word. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's good sounding. I feel like it's one of those words that sounds like what it means, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's also, there's a certain, like, sort of like you you pitched with this last story. There's a certain amount of ridiculousness to what you're doing and a ridiculousness to, to the situations that you get into day to day. And I feel like you just have to accept it a little bit. <laughs> And accept that, you know, what what you're doing is, like, there. there's no reason that anyone ever needs to go into the woods for that long. It's 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 ridiculous, but we're going to do it anyway. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, if you accept it, it's a little bit whimsical. So that, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's silly, but that's sort of the reason, I think. It's a little bit of a flight of fancy. Yeah. <laughs> when you started, or when you were about to start the AT, did you want to or think that you would want to do any of the other longer trails absolutely i mean like maybe years and years down the road i had there was and not at one point on the at did i think i'm gonna try to do the pct next year no way at all i was like yeah this is gonna be a great adventure and then i'm gonna have a career and maybe when i'm like retired i'll go do another big trail or something but yeah, it's you you don't know how the post trail is going to hit you until you finish and and like have some time to um to think it all through. Like even when I got off the AT, I for about a month and a half after I got off the AT, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with hiking. I think one of my friends forced me to go on a hike with them 3 weeks or so after getting done the AT and I just had a miserable time. But, but then like after that, you start to, after that, you <laughs> at least for me, I really start to like hone in on the good times and glorify it a little bit, I think. And then that, that was when I started thinking, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I can convince my brother to go hike the PCT. Yeah. But no, I had no intentions while I was, while I was on the AT of doing another trail for quite a while, at least. For decades and decades, it sounded like. <laughs> yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a quick turn. I understand that that's a quick turnaround <laughs> to, to like, well, let's go next but summer. But it's not that unusual, honestly. Yeah. Um, there's something about through hiking that seems to get into people's blood and it becomes very hard to give it up or to not do it. It's just such an extreme type two fun activity. It's like, you might not, you might not love it all the time while you're doing it, but like, once it's done and, and you process it and integrate it, you're, you're just like, man, I remember when I was, remember when I was in Connecticut and hated everything? That was great. That was awesome. I wish I could do that again. <laughs> that was the best day ever. <laughs> yeah. How did post trail hit you? Was it, did you have any sort of depression or? I don't think so. I think I had, I think I had 
mm, some sort of post-trail apathy. That's what I would call it. It's like didn't really didn't really want to hike, didn't run, really want to do a whole lot. Um, I mean, I want to see my friends, and that well, that was another thing. I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't like miserable for those three months. I was actually quite happy. I hung out with people I hadn't seen in quite a while. I got to spend time with my family, and that was all great. I think it was just like, you know, I didn't have a big, I didn't have a big emotional moment at Katahdin like a lot of people do. I like, I just don't think that's the way I process emotions. For me, like, when I, when I'm in the moment and like, I'm being overwhelmed with, with an experience that's, that's sort of too big to comprehend, I don't get emotional in the moment. I just like, sort of shut down emotionally, I feel like. And then it's like later when I get uh, get to processing it that I get really emotional about it. Um, so there was a bit of that, but overall I was just like, it's just sort of a weird feeling of like I you you know you spent a year and a half planning this great adventure and then you know four months making it happen, and you know you you wake up one morning and you hike a few miles, you touch a sign and then it's, you know, it's done. That's it. And there's no, uh, you know, there's no, there's no real, no one tells you the way forward. I mean, I guess people kind of do now, like go hike the PCT, but, (laughs) 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 but there's no real, you know, it's like that adventure is over and the next adventure is up to you. And yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling. I, I haven't really felt any, I certainly didn't feel that way after the diartissima. Like, after the artism, I was like, wow, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and yet. I mean, the diet, like, I do another, like, big, big effort like that. But, like, like I could see myself in, in 50 years going and hiking the AT again just for, like, the sake of nostalgia or something like that. Like, I will never again do the diartism. That, that's not a thing that's ever going to happen. <laughs> right. Right. Do you and Shane ever talk about the AT or your experiences on the AT? We do. It's, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a tricky thing. I think it's more tricky for me than him because he's a, you know, he's a very emotionally and psychologically put together person and it doesn't bother him at all. But I just sometimes feel weird about talking to him about the trail a lot when it's, it is a thing that at least for a while was tough for him because he, you know, he, he went out there with the same mindset that I did, which is I want to finish this thing. And, you know, for reasons outside his control, couldn't, but that's tough. That's, that's a tough thing to do. And it's tough for me to like want to bring that up a lot, (laughs) but he's also pretty much the only person who like understands anything that I like feel about the trail. So I still do talk to him about it quite a lot like we um especially this past summer you know we'd reminisce like once in a while i'd send him a photo or he'd send me a photo of like hey you know we were we were at this summit on this day a year ago and yeah so yeah we we definitely definitely keep in touch about it does he have any intention of going back and either finishing it or or re redoing it i don't think he's going to redo it or at least at least as of now, I don't think he has plans on redoing the whole thing. 
Um, but I think at some point he'll definitely get back out there and, and do the Connecticut to main section. I just hope that, I hope that he waits until there's a time where like I can go do that section with him. Cause like, I mean, this is super selfish, but like, for, for me, there's like, I feel like our hike isn't done yet. Like my hike might be done, but like the Will and Shane hike doesn't feel like it's done to me. So I would love to go finish that section with him, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's on his time frame now. Yeah, I could see that because particularly since you guys hiked so much of it together. Yeah. There is that joint trip still to be finished. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> is there anything that we haven't talked about that we should? Ooh. I don't know. Or how about this? I'm gonna steal a I'm gonna steal a question from from Scout that sure. I absolutely love the way he he said it. What question haven't I asked that you'd like to answer? Oh boy. Um, let's see. I think that I think we covered a lot of ground. I think that yeah, we talked about we talked about the AT quite a lot. We we're good. Yeah, I think I I, I don't okay. think there's anything anything uh, especially dragging on me. Okay. Yeah. Where can people find you if they want to ask you questions um, or follow your continuing adventures? Sure. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is underscore will dot Peterson. That's really my only social media account. <laughs> but okay. Yeah. Feel free to. Feel free to follow me and I'll, you know, I, I generally post things when I do things. Or uh, or hit you up with questions about fastest known times. That's right. Yeah. How I also, I, I occasionally write um, pieces for, for the track uh, when, when there's stuff to write about. So you can keep right. a lookout for that too. But yeah. And you did, for the trek, I think you did a day by day journal, right? Yes. Um, if if people want days. like if people want like ridiculous specifics about <laughs> like what time I hit each peak and stuff like that, definitely go on the trek and read my trip report and also a ridiculously detailed gear list of what I carried on the Diartissima. Oh, you know, through hikers. They love extremely detailed gear. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> what what was your favorite or one of your favorite moments or days on trail? You know, this this isn't like a super glorious one, but it was my first ever solo backpacking trip in June June or July of twenty eighteen. So the year before I did the AT and literally it was literally the, like the first time I'd ever gone up by myself to sleep in the woods. I went up. It, it was the first time I'd gone up in the Northern presidentials as well. So I went up and hit um, Jefferson Adams and Madison. And then I slept at the perch, which is a shelter just below tree line off the backside of uh, Adams. And it was just, the the northern presidentials hold a special place in my heart but that day in particular was just amazing i got the most beautiful sunrises or sunrise i guess <laughs> and um and a gorgeous sunset 
perfect weather. It was it was just amazing. And I think that I mean, I think your early experiences with the outdoors can like really make or break it for you. And like I just have like three or four really pivotal moments in my early like outdoors experiences that were all just absolutely perfect. And so I that's that's one that really sticks out to me. So you're kind of always chasing the perfect day? Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's tough not to. It's yeah, I don't know. It's always chasing the it's chasing the good days for sure. But I but I think that that's the um, the amazing part of it is that, you know, you, you have the bad days and you get through the bad days. Mm-hmm. But when the good days happen, the good days are the good days are so good. <laughs> <laughs> They make up for all the bad days. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a feeling of adventure, too. There's, like, one one thing that Shane said to me while we were, I think, on one of the balds in down south was that, like, there are very few times in life or, like, there are very few huge adventures, at least, like, really left in the world. There's there's not, like, yeah, it's it's hard to find these huge adventures and it's hard to find the time to do these huge, huge adventures and they're just so special and they happen. Did you keep in contact with him after he left the trail? Once in a like a couple times a week we'd text like while I was still on trail. We talked we talked a lot after I got off trail, but yeah. He get you know, we were we were updating each other on where I was, what his condition was cuz like right when he got off for a few days after he got off trail, we didn't really know it was up. It was like, like I was, I was still under this false hope that, you know, maybe he'd, uh, maybe he'd get back on, but yeah, (laughs) nope. (laughs) It wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. (laughs) It's all right. Did you mostly sleep in the shelters or did you camp? I think I, it was maybe like 50, 50 early on. And then I got really sick of the shelters pretty Pretty early, I'd say like before halfway, I was pretty sick of the shelters. So like whenever, I pretty quickly got to a point, like whenever the weather was decent, uh, we'd tent and then we'd only shelter if it was raining or something. How damp was your AT hike? It was, it was pretty spread out. That was the nice part. There wasn't like, there weren't any like 25 day rain stretches which was nice. It was like, it, it rained, I believe about 30% of the days that we were out there, but that that's also pretty loose. Like I counted rain as like literally any time we got wet, <laughs> but, but you I had a very liberal definition. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like, it was also, yeah, it was very spread out. I don't think we ever got rained on for more than like three or four days in a row, which is not bad for the AT. True. Very true. What other, like, fastest known time? Because you were talking about doing the one, <laughs> but are there other ones that are kind of on your I think so. intrigue so list? The the 100 mile next summer definitely is one that I think is doable. There's this really new trail in New Hampshire called the, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's C-O-H-O-S, Cahoos or something like that. But it's a very new trail, and the the fastest known time for it is, I think, pretty slow. 
So I think if I had like three or four days, I could go do that. I could probably go do that right now, but I don't really want to. <laughs> but um, that one's on my radar. And then there's there's a guy, there's an absolute monster named um, his trail name Stringbean. I think his name's Joe McConaughey or something like that. He holds the record for the the fastest self-supported Appalachian Trail hike, but he also just this summer broke the record for the fastest self-supported hike of the Long Trail. He went like 52 miles a day or something like that. But Jesus, yeah, it's big. But I that that's probably the most ambitious of the three. But I think it's doable with the right training. Because like the thing about the Diartissima is like I really didn't do very much training, which is horrible, but also shows that there's like if I train, I feel like there's more in the tank. If that makes sense. Right. That it's great. I mean, it just I guess it's a testament to how good of shape you are in that you would be able to go out and do that with what you would define as relatively. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say I did not like my brother, my brother and I, and my girlfriend, the three of us went out and did a two week section hike in Maine. And we weren't doing, you know, we were doing like generally 14 to 17 mile days. And like, that was, that was pretty much my training. And then I, I went from like, the plan was always to try to get some semblance of trail legs back under my feet. And then just go for it. So, if that one hadn't have worked, were you would you plan to go out a third time? No, <laughs> I, I. It's just like well, the, so the first one I only went two and a half days, but in those two and a half days I went a hundred miles, and that's just like, oh. that's just so taxing. And like mm-hmm. I got to about that same point in my second one. And I was, and I, I literally called one of my best friends and I was like, if this doesn't, like, this is my last go at this. I like, <laughs> I can't keep putting myself through this. So yeah, no, I don't think I would have. It's just too, it's so, it's so exhausting to do that mileage. And links for Will's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. A special thanks to Will for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. On next week's episode, I'll be talking with Scout, known off-trail as Barney Mann, about his new book, Journeys North. You may be familiar with him as one half of the trail angel dynamic duo of Scout and Frodo, but he's also a triple crowner. And in his book, we go back to that very first through-hike on the PCT. Journeys North is a love letter to tramleys the world over and the trails that bring them together. I'll see you on the trail. Bye.